When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Barca Blogger podcast. My name is Josh. Hope you all had a decent weekend. I'm coming to you yet again after another poor Barcelona performance, this time a loss in the Clasico at Real Madrid in the Bernabeu wearing Drake kits, which is not, wasn't a good day. Uh, so today we're going to be chatting with managing Madrid's Christopher McCormick. We we're supposed to be joined uh, by Christopher last week, but some travel stuff got in the way, so we pushed it to this week. I was hoping that would mean, you know, with a recap pod, it would be Barcelona going in, really showing who's boss in Spain. Uh, <clears throat> that wasn't the case. A lot of questions out there for Barcelona now. So we're going to try to, uh, you know, be gracious, of course, because that's what we would have done if we had won, and hope Christopher returns the favor. Uh, check out managingmadrid.com for all of the great work they do. Uh, despite the fact that they do write for Real Madrid. They are great sites. And yeah, let's get into the pod with Christopher. Alrighty, everybody. I am joined by our mortal enemy, uh, Christopher McCormick from Managing Madrid. Christopher, how are we doing today? Not too bad. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure. I'm a very happy mortal enemy today. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we had to push the pod back to this week, I was hoping it would be an occasion of uh, joy for me. Uh, <laughs> I've done many of these, one with you, a few with your counterpart, Matt. And uh, since I started doing these a few years ago, I haven't had very many, you know, good times to talk about. Unfortunately, we didn't do one after the 4-0 win last year, which would have been nice. Um, so I, you know, I sit here in submission yet again after a miserable week as uh, a Barcelona supporter. So, you know, my recap of the match is uh, Barcelona lost. Uh, what, in your head, how are you going to remember this Clasico? Um, like... It's funny that you like um you were saying that you haven't had much success since you started this podcast because I was going to the Clasicos with the thought that somehow, some way Real Madrid will just toss it. Somehow. I think um in the I've kind of grown up with a certain amount of ability from Real Madrid, no matter how well they're playing to lose a Clasico. Um it's only especially in the last maybe two or three years that uh we've managed to string some wins together. So um but yeah, this win in particular felt quite was quite satisfying, especially considering how the game against Inter went midweek as well. It's always nice to really pile on the misery. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of the things from the game, right, that stuck out to me. So Real really didn't have any problem breaking down a Barcelona defense that, and I had even brought up this stat because it was just weird more than anything that Barcelona before this game had only allowed one goal in the league. Uh, that was due to, you know, part and facts of the competition they had played, part and fact that they were healthy before a week ago. So they had a Rajo back there. Um, and uh, Real Madrid didn't seem to have any problems with this quote unquote, you know, vaunted Barcelona defense, in particular without a Rajo. I think he would have changed things a little bit. I don't know too much, but we're, 
did you see anything that like going into the match were you scared of this Barcelona defense at all or without Araujo did you think that Vinicius and Benzema were just going to have a field day um I definitely felt that we would pose a different challenge to maybe the teams that Barcelona played at the start of the league um I suppose the the uh Champions League group stages as well the way they've gone and certainly it the fact that they had only conceded one goal in the league and then were conceding all these goals in Europe suggested maybe there, there was two different um, things going on. So I was optimistic, but at the same time, I suppose I had, up until maybe two or three matches ago, I had concerns about where Benzema's form was. Um, perhaps, uh, actually, I think it'd be mainly Benzema's form that he hasn't fired like he had this time last season. But I think um, Ancelotti's definitely discovered the joys of having Fede Valverde in midfield, Rodrigo, Vinicius uh, up front, rather than having Valverde in the wing. Um, and it's kind of produced this four-man offense that's really getting going. Having, I think it started out in the Leipzig game or the Shakhtar game where we kind of, where he moved Fede a little bit more centrally. And um, it's paid dividends, and I'm certainly enjoying it. Do you feel like uh, Real had Barcelona's attack and control the whole time? Um, I think in comparison to previous Clascos, it was definitely more, it was one of the more comfortable defensive performances that I've seen from us. I, like in terms of like parallels, it reminds me a little of Ancelotti's, the same result from Ancelotti's previous stint, where Madrid had won 22 games, went on to win 22 games in a row, etc. Um, there was a similar comfort level to it. Um. But yeah, I mean, definitely, I was probably expecting more offensively for Barca. Do you feel like, so the thing that surprised me, I guess, was like Barcelona's front three, of course, are obviously like they're very talented and we've seen them do impressive things this year. Uh, maybe not in the matches that I would have hoped that they would have done impressive things, but nevertheless, we've seen flashes. And when those flashes happen, like it's spurned on by the midfield. And in this game, it felt like uh, you know Xavi refuses to bench Busquets at this point for reasons unknown to me, but he <laughs> threw out De Jong to the right of Busquets, and it felt like the Real midfield really just like did a good job of stifling the space that Pedri and De Jong like to thrive in. And like the few times Barcelona had chances, like De Jong was able to break stuff down and get some space. But uh, I don't know. I've, I've been hoping for the last you know twelve months that as Real's midfield ages a little bit. That Barcelona's, you know, midfield with Pedri and De Jong, once they figure out the right formation, would actually be able to take advantage of things. But this time, it still felt like Real Madrid's midfield just stifled Pedri and De Jong. What did you see? Yeah, well, I mean, I think even in flashes of games last year where we went into matches without Casemiro, we had um, Camavinga instead. There, it certainly added a different dimension to the game. Where the, especially with Camavinga, he was just a in terms of like ball um regaining possession he was a monstrous force and he just in terms of and particularly in off ball positioning as well he is so intelligent and i think Tuchmeni as well has done similarly is, is similarly as effective and also a much well i probably says more about casemiro's on and off passing than anything but he's much superior passer than casemiro ever was for us um so i mean like 
I don't I like even when the original trio ages we had um I think even um we've always had that kind of backup um in Camavinga and Tuchmeni um had Valverde Ceballos and flashes you know off the bench um has done well we've had options and I think particularly towards the end of last season in games even a handful of games I went to see myself uh there was some potential in the midfield um maybe not so much to have justified selling Casemiro like we did although I would agree with the move but I definitely would say um the outlook was has always been pretty positive for me so I wouldn't beat yourself up too hard about that one no 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 I uh I'm taking it well um who is the best player on the pitch for Barcelona? The one I okay, besides Lewandowski, I guess. I don't know if he would have been your answer, but hey, let's take Lewandowski out of it. Who is the player on the pitch that you were most intimidated by for Barcelona? Um, I'd have to say since he kind of broke out, I've always had a fear of Ansu Fati. <laughs> um, he's the sort of kind of young dynamism that I've seen Real Madrid enjoy the uh the kind of bounties of and um it does fill me with a certain amount of comfort that Xavi doesn't seem to see that potential in him gosh I mean when he did come on though that move was unbelievable yeah this is it, yeah <laughs> and he it seems like it's something I mean apart from the inter game in the games that I've watched of Barca it seems to be something he's capable of doing every time he comes on um so like I suppose as a rival I'm pleased that uh he doesn't get the game time, but as a neutral, I can't really understand why. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I did want to say uh, congrats to Ferran Torres for scoring a goal. Uh, great on you for being able to tap it in. Uh, the, the sarcasm is dripping through my voice, if, you, if anybody can tell. It's always frustrating for, I think, for us anyways, that whereas... You know, in second halves where Barcelona would have a 2-0 lead, lead, they would rub it in. Whereas Madrid just take their foot off the pedal. It was something that I think Ancelotti touched on that, you know, kind of tried to take the high ground of, oh, we don't care about embarrassing opponents. We care about the three points. But I mean, there's enough of these like old heads in there to remember the sort of defeats we've had where you have to wonder. They do seem to fall asleep at the wheel a little bit. Yeah, it's very frustrating as a fan who's had to watch a lot of rough defeats over the last couple of years that we uh, aren't willing to rub in the advantage but uh maybe one day um, we can dream right yeah yeah of <laughs> course yeah uh was it a penalty what do you think i mean it looked like the I, move I mean, had stopped it looked like he lost the ball to me yeah it looked it, it, there was a there was a stomp there do i think it would be given if far wasn't there probably not but um like i don't know i'm yeah. i'm i'm all for a little bit of Especially when it's my team, I'm all for kind of if you feel a stomp, go down and see if you can get something. Yeah, I was just um, surprised that um, they reversed it, right? Because it's obviously if he had called it on the pitch and then gone to VAR, like I don't know if you want to not overturn it at that point, that's fine. But it was just strange to me he didn't call it and then went to VAR, and it was a very yeah. quick decision. Like I just you're not used to seeing that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, they were kind of assured through commentary and stuff that VAR is checking all decisions, but when there's not that kind of... I'm, I suppose for an American audience, this might be strange, but in this part of the world, we have rugby union. So 
Um, I don't know if it's similar to American football, but with different rules. And in rugby, they have a similar video referee, but the communication between the video referee and the referee is televised. So you get an idea of where the, the decision making is coming from, the conversations that are being had. Whereas in even in English speaking leagues, it's not that whole thing is behind curtains so we have no idea like when a referee decides that he got the decision wrong or why he got he's standing by or whatever it's always um behind curtains we have no idea what's informing these choices and so i've heard about rugby doing that and i've never understood why big leagues around the world just think obscurity is somehow better it doesn't make any sense well i think probably especially in spain anyways it becomes more and more clear that it's less so the you know, the ability to review a decision more so just the standard of refereeing. I think um, la- last night, anyways, I think Elche and Valencia played and there was a re- there was a load of referee controversy. Um, so it's happening to everybody. Um, and it's been that case for years. I can't say I watch a huge amount of other La Liga teams in recent years because I have. I like to watch the reserves, so I kind of miss it, but um. It's. It, I remember when I was watching the league consistently that there was always that kind of at least one decision where you're kind of like, how did the referee get that one wrong? Um, today you know we're recording this the day of the Ballon d'Or ceremony. Uh, I'll just give you the floor. Do you want to give Benzema his flowers preemptively? Is he? I mean, like, I don't like. I there's not really much left to say about Kareem. I think he's fully deserving of. A Ballon d'Or. I know, I think, you know, I want to balance this because I've always been someone who kind of doesn't, I mean, it, it, it's like the Community Shield or the Spanish Super Cup. If you win it, you're like, great, we won it. But if you don't win it, it's not a big deal. I mean, I don't think my opinion of Benzema is going to change if uh, he wins the Ballon d'Or or not. Uh, but saying that, I think he fully deserves the accolades. He really did a, he didn't a huge job for us um let alone from last season but since Ronaldo has left he's stepped up to the plate hugely um he showed a sort of goal scoring form that a lot of people didn't think he had um and he's managed to balance that with some of the good things that he's always had in his game so you know yeah. I'll do respect yeah uh so he is the clear betting favorite um I'm looking at odds from a site that won't be named he's minus 2500 to win uh who would you guess are kind of rounding out maybe the top you know four or five besides Benzema I don't know um it's I imagine I think with with uh, the Ballon d'Or the kind of glamour and story of it really does take um take precedent so I imagine Courtois is up there somewhere um and then outside of that it's probably I I would hope De Bruyne is in there or Holland uh Courtois is not in the top 10 betting favorites. Uh De Bruyne's like fifth. So second, third, and fourth. Second is Sadio Mane, third is Salah, fourth <laughs> is Mbappe. And I mean, I, I guess you're taking the international competition and like prioritizing that with Mane and and Mo, probably. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I'd actually forgotten the Africa Cup nations had been on. Yeah earlier this year and somehow our good pal uh cristiano ronaldo is 10th in betting odds <laughs> i'm not sure what they're watching but uh i guess maybe you're just trying to get some action make some money 
absolutely you're the sports book surprised Messi's not up there um <clears throat> all right let's talk about actually before we get into prospects moving forward I'm not gonna keep you too long uh what were your thoughts on the Drake kits did you think they were uh, dope or what <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah honestly never mind I it's, guess I, I, I did appreciate the jokes about the Drake kits being like the fifth lever. I, yeah. I did, I did like that. Yeah. That was funny. Um, let's talk about prospects moving forward. Uh, I don't want to talk about Europe. I will say, and I mentioned this last week, the, I'm just so jealous. I mean, really Shakhtar, like that's who we're, that's who Real Madrid get is like the, the hard team in your group. And I'm dealing with freaking Inter and Byron. We've had it. We've had our groups in the days. Who Dortmund? <laughs> well, I mean, we had Dortmund. We usually got a hard draw in the knockouts. Bayern, City, Chelsea. The twice. knockout. I would just like to make it to the knockout. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pain. All right. Um, how are you feeling about Real Madrid's prospects in the league? Because obviously, like this is this is a big win. Whatever, three points up. Um, but it's early. Do you feel like and like with how Ancelotti is setting his team up? Um, how do you feel about the prospects in the league? I always um, I'm always of the opinion that for us to win the league, we need other teams to do us favors because we're quite susceptible to winning games like this and then dropping points the following week. Um, I think we're playing midweek today or this week, and you know I wouldn't be surprised if we draw points to Osasuna or Elche or something like that. Um. So, I mean, it's far from over. It really does depend on how much of a gap we can build between now and Christmas. And then, well, now until the World Cup anyways. And then kind of hope that the FIFA virus favors us. Because it rarely seems to favor you guys. You guys always get done by the FIFA virus. Gosh, it was it's so frustrating too because, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be a revisionist guy and be like, oh, if both teams were healthy, Barcelona would have won. I, I don't think that. I But it is frustrating that like Barcelona finally get defensive depth. And then Bellerin, Araujo, um, freaking Jules goes out. Like there's, and he was back, but it is annoying that as soon as we have like the vital Champions League matches, the freaking international break just destroys us. And now, let's see, I guess Madrid in particular, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven more matches till the international break for a month and a half. Um, and I'm sure Barcelona's around the same. So not much more time to build up a, uh, a gap there. Um, I don't have anything else for you. Uh, do you have any, any any parting words for the Barcelona listeners before you head out? Um, no, I've probably annoyed them enough by now. No, I think you've been <laughs> quite gracious. I uh, I probably would have been a bit more pompous. You know, had you see, I'm not, I'm not gonna. It's, it's just, I in the league, it's always a dangerous game. <laughs> Because it it, for us, it, for us, it always it's always like just two or three games away from disaster. Um, in Europe, it's a different story. We just seem to have a we uh we know our own, we know ourselves in Europe. So we know even if we lose three one in the first leg, we'll come back in the second. Whereas it, the opposite is true in the league for us. Yeah, it is funny. Like when I think about because you know how you have those those football matches that you can kind of remember where you were. That comeback against City, like I'll, I'll forever remember watching and just like I was texting my buddy who's a City fan and we're like watching it happen and we're like, this doesn't, this feels expected and somehow just like fake at the same time. 
<laughs> it was just so stupid because everyone knew that like City were going to choke somehow. But it just they they keep upping the ridiculousness of themselves. And then just to shove it in Liverpool's face, I don't know. All right. Um, everyone, check out Christopher's great work at managingmadrid.com. Although they uh, write about some questionable topics like Real Madrid, they are a great site and I admire them a lot. Um, so Christopher, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me.